Hey everyone, Joe Graves here, uh, pastor Central City Church. Uh, got with us a special guest, uh, Ryan. Uh, um, Ryan, I, I, Alyssa corrected me in saying your last name last time I said it. How do you say your last name? Fote. Fote. I might not have put the T in or put it in, in the wrong way. <laughs> but uh, we've got here uh, Ryan Fote, uh, professor of meteorology of Ohio, at, at Ohio University. Uh, also, I got to know him uh, when I was pastoring down in Athens. And uh, we, we got a chance to actually go on a mission trip together to Honduras. So that was pretty cool. And uh, uh, think about that, uh, that trip often, actually. Uh, Ryan, why don't you take a second, just uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, take a few seconds, introduce yourself. What do you do? What do you care about? Um, uh, what's something that you kind of enjoy doing on your free time? Love to get uh, just share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, so uh, I'm a professor at Ohio University. I teach in the geography department, but all meteorology classes, ranging from intro to meteorology up through the advanced uh, atmospheric dynamics, which require calculus and physics. It's a lot of math uh, in, in my field. Uh, but my research is actually more in climate. So I, I study the climate of Antarctica. I'm really keen on understanding what, how is it changing and what's causing those changes. And with Antarctic records, they're very short. So we have to go back farther in time. And my work really looks at extending short observational records back into time so we can understand how unique the changes are that are going on right now and more likely understand why they're happening. Um, yeah, so what do I care about? I, I I, I think, uh, of course, apart from my family and my faith, I, I'm really interested in, um, you know, what's in this world and making it better. And, uh, you know, taking the ways that humans um, maybe inadvertently have made the world more broken um, by their own brokenness and trying to find solutions uh, and ways that we can work together to um, come up with a better tomorrow and a better outcome to change the story. And I think one of the biggest things of that is with climate and climate change. Yeah, so I want to talk about climate change, um, and uh, the, the question I have here is just the basic one of what is global warming? Um, I might add in there, what are these terms? What do we mean when we say climate change? What do we mean when we say global warming? Uh, what, what are we talking about here? And let's say that I, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, there's, you know, I don't know, let's say we're starting at ground zero with me, but uh, how would you explain this? What's, what's, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, I like the term climate change a little bit better than global warming. They're, to me, they're different. For most of everyone else, they're probably the same thing. Uh, global warming, um, to me, implies something a little bit different. So when you hear global warming, what it really should mean is that it's the long-term temperature trend averaged over the entire planet over a period of at least 30 years. Uh, so it has to be averaged over the entire planet and over 30 years. What global warming is not then is the idea that the whole world is warming. That's not scientifically true. Or that that over short time periods of 10 to 15 years, the earth might not warm as fast or maybe be cooling in a shorter time period. So that's why that word to me is a little confusing. Climate change is much broader. Climate change says that climate is changing and it includes much more than just temperature. Like when we look at the planet and see many sources of scientific data, we know that climate change is happening because not just temperature is changing, but many of the other uh, things across the planet are also responding uh, as the atmosphere is changing and we're seeing warming. So around climate change, and I really that's really interesting actually, the, the difference, and that makes sense to me. Um, how do we know it's real? And, and I'll throw in, um, 
how do we know it's human caused? And, and I throw that question in because when I get into debates or conversations with people, they're like, well, the climate's changing, but it's always changing. And that's just the natural way of the world. And the fact that humans are, you know, doing anything, you know, humans aren't a part of that. It's just how the world works. That's a, maybe even some Christians would say that's just part of God's will that the climate would change periodically. What's, what's your response in regards to how do we know the climate's changing and, and how do, what's your understanding around the human role in that? Yeah. So I, I'm a firm believer in scientific data and trusting science and uh, looking at multiple pieces of evidence to tell a complete story uh, when it comes to science, not just looking at one piece of data or one particular outcome, but using a wide variety of, of information. And with climate uh, change, we can see multiple things that are changing uh, simultaneously and in the same direction that we'd expect um, if the earth was warming. So of course, you're familiar with temperatures warming and going up, that idea, uh, but we're seeing ice loss in places like Greenland and Antarctica and reduced snow cover over North America and Asia. We're seeing changes in the acidity of the ocean. It's dissolving more carbon in it and becoming more acidic. We're seeing changes in species, uh, biological and marine, uh, marine and terrestrial species that are shifting uh, to adapt to a warmer place, a warmer climate, or move to a colder place if they, they thrive in colder conditions, or they're moving upward. If they're an alpine species, uh, they're moving up the mountain slopes to get to colder conditions as the, the lower elevations are warming. Uh, so these are just many different pieces of evidence. And when we put these together, they tell the consistent story that the earth is changing, uh, that it's changing quickly. Uh, and we can even go back farther in time and look at ice cores and tree rings and corals and ocean and lake sediments. And they all tell this consistent story of really rapid change. Um, as far as how we know that humans are causing it, there, there are two pieces. One is um, not the fact that it's really warm. In fact, we can go back uh, as recent as 10,000 years uh, what we call the Holocene period in geological eras, and see that the earth was actually warmer than it is today, as quick as 10,000 years ago. Uh, so it's not how warm we are that is the, the issue here about climate change and why we're worried about it. It's how quickly we're changing. And so what we're doing is we're seeing changes that are happening so rapidly across many different sectors that we haven't seen before without some kind of natural disruption, like a, an asteroid impacting the earth or something. And so that's one kind of telling me, one sign that's telling me that something's not normal. Something's happening beyond natural variability because the pace is just so fast. The other thing is uh, how we can determine if humans are causing it is through conducting experiments. So climate scientists, like all scientists, conduct experiments to answer questions they have about science. And uh, because the Earth is so complex and we only have one Earth, we have to do these experiments with computer simulations, what we call climate models. And the climate models clearly tell us that when we run simulations in these computers that account for all the different processes on Earth, when we run them without greenhouse gases that are increasing because of human activity, if we have none of those in the model, the earth doesn't warm. These things don't change. It behaves in its natural cycle uh, that we'd expect. However, in those simulations, when we include the greenhouse gases and the natural forcings together, we match up with the observed warming really well. And that tells us beyond any shred of doubt for climate scientists that when we add in the human element to these models in our experiments, then and only then do we reproduce the warming that we're seeing across the planet. Without that human influence, without that human uh, touch to the climate system, 
uh, we wouldn't see the warming that we have today. And therefore, yeah, it's a really strong piece of evidence that humans are the cause, at least the main cause of climate change since 1950. So if I'm hearing you right, you've got, for just the nature of climate change, you've got all these data points from the way that where animals are living to marine life to just all the things you listed that are saying climate's changing. And and because it's changing so rapidly, there's uh, you're like, okay, something's different. And then you use these models to kind of play around with what is the variable that's producing a much more rapid change. And the one in these models, the variable that keeps showing up is, uh, is human impact, human involvement. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of where this comes from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, if we just look at the warming from greenhouse gases by themselves, uh, you know, we actually produce in the models too much warming. So it's the combination of the greenhouse gases and then some of these other cooling mechanisms that are going on across the planet together that match up with the observed trends. So there are some natural cooling processes that are going on and actually some human uh, introduced cooling processes, but the overwhelming warming trend is due to the increase in greenhouse gases. And those are largely uh, contributed by humans through burning more fossil fuels. So, where are we headed? If these trends continue, there isn't significant change, uh, what can we expect? Um, what will be the impacts on our future here? Yeah, um, well, unfortunately, the news isn't really good. Um, if we continue along this path without making significant progress or change, um, situations are going to get worse. Um, because the climate is so inherently connected with many other systems, uh, it doesn't just make us feel hot and uncomfortable. Um, it influences things like water quality and water availability. It influ influences food production. Uh, it influences, um, you know, heat related stress, morbidity and mortality, you know, the, the heat strokes, the heat exhaustion. So human health is impacted as well as pollutants in the atmosphere um, can be um, largely you know, influenced by warmer temperatures. So that has these dramatic impacts on agriculture, human health, water availability, species, food. Um, so there's there's these things that are gonna get worse and it's gonna compromise um, the ability for some of these things to function as they are right now. Some scientists believe that some of the changes we're seeing going on um, may reach a, a tipping point where they're no longer able to be stopped or slowed down and will continue in that direction indefinitely. Um, one example that I study is Antarctica. Um, there are portions of Antarctic ice that are melting that um, if they continue along this path, may not be able to be stopped from being melting, even if we cool down the planet and stop with greenhouse gases. Because of the, the ice ocean uh, atmosphere interactions that are going on, creates this process that once it starts on its path, can't be stopped. And that, those are alarming because that can lead to sea level rise, another major concern and consequence of this that uh, would affect populations all across the world's coasts. Uh, roughly 30% of the world's population lives within 100 kilometers, 60 miles from the coast and could be mm -hmm. impacted by sea level rise. So, you know, these are all you know, negative things. There's a few positive things, but by and large, the negative consequences of climate change outweigh any of the positive gains. You know, and this is just a random thought, but I remember reading an article once, I think it was from Relevant Magazine, and it was saying climate change, uh, you know, environmental 
concern is a justice issue. And I think part of the logic was some of the people who will be most deeply impacted the first, and this is just from my memory, I might be quoting them wrong, but it, it'll be the poorest of the poor or those in sort of the marginalized communities that'll be impacted the most, at, even at first in regards to these things that you're saying, like water access, agriculture, um, what's your, I mean, do you, is that, does that make sense? Is that true? Um, what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. This is a whole area on the social side of climate change called climate justice, where um, it's, a, it's a multifaceted issue of inequality and, um, you know, privilege. So the people that are going to be most likely to be dramatically impacted by climate change are the ones that are the least responsible for causing it. You look at the poor developing countries, the communities of color, the elderly or the youth that are more uh, threatened by disease and, um, you know, food shortages and water quality issues, uh, health issues. They are the ones that are putting the least amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Whereas the developed world, the Western world, uh, the U.S. and China um, are, are the biggest uh, sources of emissions and, and, and India is growing up there as well as it develops. Um, are, you know, the ones that are contributing the most to the problem, but may have better adaptive capacity, may have systems in place that protect and, and take care of at least the, the wealthy and the rich are people of those uh, countries and those societies so that they don't in, uh, incur the, the greatest impacts. So the, one of the big challenges is that this issue becomes much more than a physical issue, like looking at water changing and temperatures changing. It becomes a very deeply rooted social issue because of the impacts that are not even, um, even though the, the warming is fairly even and the carbon dioxide is fairly even in the atmosphere, the way it influences the people that live on this earth is not even. And the people that are at the margins, the least, the last, and the lost are going to be the most dramatically impacted by our choices, our lifestyles, our, our ways of living that um, contribute to this problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it just feels like uh, you just described the, the plot for, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, some sort of dystopian novel, <laughs> but it, we're living it, which is just kind of um, yeah. well, let's transition because this is this is important. Uh, I know you as somebody who's uh, who loves Jesus and uh, could always count on for prayer and and um, uh, uh, just enjoyed sharing uh, our uh, church life together. Tell me about how this connects to your faith, uh, the work you do around climate science as somebody who's striving to to follow Jesus. Yeah, I think there there are two two direct connections for me personally. Um, first, from the very onset of the Bible, it's clear that God put us in dominion of the earth, you know, um, in, in control of what's living on this planet and, and gave us the responsibility to be stewards of this planet. Mm -hmm. And I believe fully to the very core of my being that being a, a, a good steward means being an ethical steward. It means that we take care of all of the resources, the things that we're consuming and taking from this planet. Um, that we're not living beyond our means, but we're living within our means, um, and we're limiting our impact on the planet and others, at least our negative impacts, in, in a way that um, we would leave the world in a better place. Uh, we're consistently and, and constantly working from it. I think it's the, one of the first commands and one of the first charges that God gives to Adam and Eve. And uh, from all generations, I think that should be one defining principle um, of taking care of this planet and the things that are on it um, as a guiding principle for our lives. 
The second one is the social issue. Um, because climate change, whether or not you understand the science of it or under, um, even believe how, how humans are changing it, um, we can see dramatically right now how it's impacting people and how people are, are coping with drought and flood and reduced food and um, disease, even through the pandemic, right? And, and seeing that challenge that it's posing to people and my understanding of scripture and of who Jesus is at the very core of his being tells me that he's a person that really cares for those marginalized people that are always kind of pushed to the fringes of society, the outcast, the least, the last, and the lost. And because of Jesus's own lifestyle and concern for those people that often don't get the attention and the um, the, the the love that they deserve from from higher ups, it's our responsibility um, to act as Jesus did and give those people their their attention and make their concern our concern. Um, and so, because climate change affects those people more than it will affect probably you and I. Uh, we should be concerned about this because Jesus would be concerned about this, I, I believe. I think that he, he, he would not want people to be marginalized. He would not want people to be threatened, especially by something that they haven't caused. It's just an issue of injustice, um, inequality, and really of our white privilege being cast out onto the world in, in, in a grand scheme. And I think um, the Bible teaches us that Jesus would push against that sort of system. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, we're like, what, you know, I'm already, you know, we're doing this series on, on this topic because it's something that I already care about, but even just hearing and you talk and I'm being reminded, I'm like, okay, what can I do about it? So I want to ask you that, what, what can someone like myself, what can someone do about it? But first, uh, why don't you share a little bit, what are you doing um, uh, about it? Maybe both in your, your research professional life, but then also in your personal life, what are some of the things you're doing to, you know, I mean, obviously we, we should do something. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, my research right now is, is this project uh, that's founded by the funded by the national science foundation to look at anarch sea ice. Uh, and anarch sea ice is a really interesting um, um, feature of the Antarctic climate. It's the ice that grows on the ocean every winter and then shrinks back in the summer the Arctic sea ice we know has really been declining. This is the ice around the North Pole. It's been declining very rapidly since the satellite era 1980. And that's a large um, signal of human introduced climate change. The Antarctic sea ice is much more complex. It really doesn't have the land to, to uh, cap it as far as how much it can grow. And up until about 2016, it was increasing, even though the climate was cool, uh, was warming down there um, in places. And, uh, then in 2016, it, it dramatically dropped and went well below average. And then really interesting in 2020, uh, amidst the pandemic and everything else that's going on, it reemerged back to normal. Uh, so there's lots of ups and downs in the Antarctic sea ice we don't understand. And because these impact the um, freshening of the Southern Ocean, they impact the, the penguins and the, the, a lot of marine ecosystems around there and have dramatic impacts for the global ocean as a whole. 
uh, it's important to know what's going to happen in the future with Anarchy Sea Ice and uh, how unique these changes are. And so my work is actually looking at reconstructing sea ice records back through the whole 20th century to place these short-term changes that we've seen in the last 40 years in a much longer and, and needed historical context. So it's really exciting and really challenging work, um, but it, I think it'll help to answer some questions that we don't know about Antarctic climate. What am I doing more, more uh, on the, the action side is uh, here at Ohio University, I have the honor of working in the Office of Sustainability. Uh, it's a, a job that I took um, in 2019. And with that, I launched a program called the Climate and Sustainability Ambassadors. It's a group of students, faculty, and staff who are passionate about sustainability and also want to work to improve climate literacy, both on and off campus. And so we've been doing a lot of events um, working with um, waste production and re recycling here on campus to eliminate waste at major um, football and basketball games, uh, to try to make it zero waste events. Uh, we've done outreach in the dorms on, on sustainability and climate literacy and, and education there. Uh, we've gone to schools and visited them, especially before the pandemic. Um, and right now we're producing a weekly podcast series that has been going up um, on Apple and Spotify podcasts about sustainability and just educating people about this really important issue. Uh, because I think people often misunderstand what sustainability is. They think sustainability is just the environment, but sustainability is this triple um, intersection of people, planet and prosperity. So it really is a decision framework for all choices that you'll make in life. Uh, can you make a decision that would not have a big impact on the planet, but also not limit your prosperity and not negatively impact people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, reframing those sorts of things to realize that this is a, a choice about not what only car I buy or where I live, what kind of food I consume, um, and, you know, um, you know, how I get from point A to point B and all these different choices that you make each day in, in your life. Uh, and so I think it's been a really great work. I've had uh, up about 100 students uh, at times with me in this this effort, and they're really so engaged, so passionate because they they know that they're they're thinking about their future. This is not just you know some far off you know kingdom or whatever. It's it's like this is my life, and this is my kids' lives coming up, and I want the world to be preserved and protected for them. And uh, I think that's really it's really cool to see their passion because it gets me really excited and engaged. Uh, and it gives me hope for the for the future as well. Let me let me put you on a spot here for a second. Alyssa and I are you know starting to talk about a, a new car. What, what something like that? That's a big purchase. You're going to have it for a long time. There's a lot of options that are built as environmental friendly. Do you have any advice around when you're when you're doing something like that uh, as far as what to be thinking about? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly there's some new data out there about uh, emissions per vehicle. If you're really thinking about a carbon-friendly car, uh, you can look at certain makes and models uh, and see what the emissions are. If you're not ready to go away from a total internal combustion engine car, a gasoline-powered car, general electric vehicle, um, you can look at certainly lower emissions uh, uh gas-powered cars and, and see what might fall on the spectrum there. And they, they sort them by price and, and emissions. So you can get an idea of what fits into your budget. Uh, myself, I made the jump um, this fall and bought an electric vehicle. Um, I love it. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, it, not to make a, a plug for a particular model, but it, it's a Chevrolet Bolt and uh, it, it has a great range. I can go up to Columbus and back from Athens on one charge. 
um, which is just really fantastic. And in Athens here and also in Columbus, there are many free charging stations where they're trying to incentivize people to buy these, um, you know, uh, environmental friendly cars. Uh, and, you know, over their lifetime, they cost less money than a gas powered car. And uh, they have a much less emissions than a gas powered car. Up front, they might have a little bit more in their production, but um, over their lifetime, because they're not emitting when they're driving, uh, they have a lot less emissions. On the, so they're a really great option if you're thinking about doing that. And there's also hybrid op, uh, models that have um, gasoline and uh, electric uh, plug-in um, both. But uh, to me, those are they're, they're great. They definitely reduce the emissions, but uh, there's a lot more that can go there's a lot more moving parts than those. Whereas an electric car, if you've ever seen one, it's just, there's so few moving parts. You don't need oil changes. The only maintenance you need is really a tire rotation and tire changes. Uh, and then it's like every 100,000 miles to do some stuff with the battery because there's just so few moving parts in an electric vehicle. It's, it's, it's crazy what little is under the hood. It's all electrical wiring getting proper charge to the battery. I don't even, my electric vehicle, I don't even use the brakes anymore. Um, I just let off the gas and it does this regenerative braking so that it charges the battery while slowing the car down without ever using the mechanical brakes. It's wow, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and so this is just like, uh, just for the sake of conversation, you know, this is like where my, my brain goes like, okay, we get a, a, an electric vehicle. Well, I'm charging that at home a lot of times. And uh, that electricity is coming from the power plant and isn't, I mean, I don't know Ohio, but I mean, a lot of that's fossil fuels too, creating emissions. It's still better, even if our, like, I don't have solar panels where I could charge it from or whatever. Like, is it, is it still overall better? Maybe you don't have the answer, but these are the type of like the ripple effect where it gets really complicated. And like, am am I really even making a difference at that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, Electricity usage is a a major concern for climate change. In the U.S., it's one of the top two sources of emissions of greenhouse gases. So always reducing, working to reduce your electricity uh, consumption is really important. Uh, You can, through many companies, um, purchase renewable energy only. Um, And so even though you're getting through the same supplier, Mm -hmm. uh, same company, you're getting um, supplied by different supplier that uh, only supplies a, a renewable energy. I'm not, I'm not sure how it works through the whole grid, um, but it costs a little bit more um, per kilowatt, but uh, we do that here. I, I have solar panels to provide some of my power, um, but the re- residual part is renewable energy only. Um, and so that I'm per- supplying and, and at least investing in that that company, yeah. and that, that supplier to get renewable energy. And that's, that's an a, that I'm sure many, most companies in Ohio will allow you to have that option if you wanted to, to promote that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, if Alyssa, you're listening to this, let's look into that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So one of the things, okay. So, so we talked a little bit, these are maybe, maybe some ideas around, you know, questions I'm asking, What, what advice do you have? Maybe they don't even include some of the stuff we talked about for somebody who does want to make a difference. I mean, you've made a case, this is significant. There's data to back it up, human cause. What can the individual do? Uh, what's some advice do you have for the individual who wants to make a difference? Yeah, well, I, I fully believe that there's no one fix all solution to climate change. And because I believe that everything we do matters, nothing should be discredited, everything counts. Uh, I, I do believe at the higher levels, there needs to be um, some international policy that helps to regulate greenhouse gases and work towards global carbon neutrality. That means that we 
for every carbon dioxide molecule that gets put into the atmosphere, we're removing one uh, through different offsets. Uh, that's a really good target. And most countries have those and um, most states in the US have those. And so that's a really good goal to reach and achieve. Hmm. Uh, but instead of just waiting for that to happen magically, there's a lot that you can do individually. And uh, those are, you know, everyday choices that you may not think of. One group that I really love to follow in terms of climate change solutions that are accessible right now with technology and resources is Project Drawdown. And Project Drawdown lists the number one solution for climate change that's accessible is eliminating food waste, reducing mm. food waste. Um, now, some of that happens um, on, you know, before you can buy it at the market or wherever you're getting your food, um, you know, and better harvesting, um, better ways of, you know, um, transporting the food to the markets uh, and those sorts of things. But it also can fall into you. You can buy food that you're only going to consume. Uh, so eating all edible food, uh, not throwing it away. Um, composting is nice, yes, but ideally you you want to just buy what you're consuming, able to consume and not not pitch and throw away food uh, because there's so much emissions wrapped into the food um, you know system that limiting what you're throwing away, you know is basically eliminating that that emission that really benefited very few people and certainly didn't benefit you in terms of nutrients and energy. So, um, you know, that's one simple thing that you can do. You're, you're basically contributing to the problem every time you throw food away that that hasn't been consumed. Mm. Um, and that's that's why it's worldwide, it's huge. Uh, other things are like, you know, switching to more plant-based diets. You know, the, there's lots of studies and research about, you know, the value of that health-wise, but um, in terms of it, on climate emissions, a lot of food that gets grown for agri for you know beef, um, even uh, you know chickens and poultry um, and pigs, uh, that gets grown and fed to them, and then a lot of it's not even then becoming edible food for you later on down the, the supply, and so it get, gets lost in the process. Um, so there's all that emissions associated with the transport and, and moving of that food to beef and, and other forms of meat that then often doesn't get transferred to me that you consume. So there's a lot of lost energy in that mm -hmm. process. And so I'm not, not saying that you have to become a vegan or vegetarian, um, but reducing your food con meat consumption um, and switching more to plant heavy diets can have a, an also a large impact. And that's, I think the number three solution. So quite a, quite a few large things that you can do. I mean, things that have a large impact on your everyday choices, but of course in the U S transportation and electricity usage are the biggest sources. So, biking, walking more, um, using public transport, uh, all have, you know, really good impacts because you're, you're per person reducing the amount of carbon that's emitted. Um, you know, reducing electricity use as much as possible uh, is really good. Turning off lights in rooms when you're not in them, TVs, appliances that you're not using, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's more power consumed than you might realize uh, by things that are just plugged in, but not active. Uh, and so, limiting that or reducing that is, is really helpful as well. Yeah. We um, I've, I've thought about public transport because I've, I've seen this pop up in times and it's interesting. I know one person in Columbus, and I'm sure there's more, but I, in my world of people, I know, I know one person who takes the bus um, who doesn't have to, you know, like there's, there's plenty of people we've served and, and, and who need to take the bus for various reasons. They don't have a car or, or it's not reliable. But I know one individual who takes the bus uh, because he chooses to because of, and sometimes he rides his bike. 
um, but other times takes takes the bus for for a variety of reasons. Um, and I don't know if it's entirely for environmental reasons, honestly, but um, you know, there's probably a lot of us like myself, I've never once been on a, a Columbus city bus. And I've thought about that. And I've even thought, man, as a church, we really should do uh, an empathy challenge at least because so many people live that way. Yeah. Um, just say, Hey, for a week, take the bus everywhere just for the the experience. But I mean, I also know that that reduces your, you know, overall impact as well. So yeah, these, these things are really hard for us to give up though, because that one in particular, because you lose a lot of freedom and independence when you start doing things that are by, by the mere definition, I guess. So doing things that are better for everyone instead of better for yourself, you lose a certain amount of your independence. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge with, with climate change and a lot of these issues, right? Um, is that you're giving up your privilege to benefit others um, indirectly, right? And so, yeah, you're inconvenienced by the bus schedule or um, it might not be the direct route from your house to wherever the bus stop is. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of plan your time around that. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can reframe it, um, instead of being, thinking about it being inconvenienced, I, I when I was a student at Ohio State, you know, back then, I, I think it's still true that, uh, we got to ride Coda for part of our tuition. So you can just hop on the bus. And I, I did that as a way to commute back and forth from school. Uh, you know, if you can reframe it by being inconvenienced to thinking about it as a new opportunity for time that you don't have to focus on driving. Mm-hmm. So you're on a bus. Now someone's in charge of getting you from point A to point B. There's time either for you to, um, you know, there if you can sit and read or you can listen to a podcast or you can just appreciate the world around you without having to be focused on, you know, not getting in an accident. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's reframing of it. It can help you to realize that, yeah, there's some things that I'm giving up, but I'm also gaining some other things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And we, we just use that mentality shift here. I think we'll realize, you know, that some of these choices and changes that we might have to make to help with the climate change crisis aren't as bad as what we think they are. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, maybe when COVID is over and I don't have to, uh, you know, uh, when when people feel a little more comfortable being around other people, you know, it was always had the idea of doing a, a mission week, um, you know, a week of solidarity uh, as we've done at Central Avenue in the past, but it include things like, you know, spend the week on a bus, you know, or uh, there's a variety of other things. I could even give, give, those, uh, give those activities points and make it a little competition or something, but... Um, one of the, one of the things around this is, as with most stuff in the world, it seems like now is it, it seems so political. And as some of our staff were talking about this, uh, preparing for this conversation, that's one of the things they shared is it's like, it seems so rooted in political parties. Now, when I hear you talk so much of what you're saying is coming from your, your, a very orthodox interpretation of scripture and a very reasonable interpretation of science. And I'm like reminded that this is just, this is just real. Um, but in almost every other sphere, it feels like, uh, you know, a, a platform that some politician is, is taking or not taking and a conspiracy that, you know, the oil companies are out, uh, which actually seems more reasonable or a conspiracy that some political parties just trying to make it an issue for, some reason. What, what, what do you do with that? How do you respond to the fact that this is such a political issue? Um, what advice do you have for us sifting through that? 
Yeah, well, it has to be a political issue because it does need to involve policy um, and mm-hmm. laws and regulations uh, to to solve it. Um, the 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 problem where it becomes partisan political is mm. the fact that the ways to solve those problems without limiting economic activity uh, differ, and so the the problem and challenge too with climate change, especially, is that when we started building, uh, developing, and, and building economies on greenhouse gases we did not intend to harm the planet in the process. Uh, We had this economically productive activity that had a negative environmental consequence. Uh, Mm. And so once we learned about the environmental consequence, we were already deeply rooted in those negative economic activities, the dependence on fossil fuels for energy and transportation, especially in in some countries, agriculture. And that that, um, means it's really challenging to reverse some of the ways that we're doing things because we're deeply rooted in those. Um, I would also go as far to say in um, capitalist societies um, where we're taught um, from a very young age that more is more and we should always seek more, more stuff, more wealth, more power, more influence, uh, that that's the way to define success and um, prosperity. That um, when that's built into us, that also gets threatened by climate change because as you've heard me talk about, it's not, the accumulation of more, it's the dependence on less. Uh, and, uh, you know, that if you're deeply rooted in the belief of more, um, you know, whether you need the latest, greatest, this or that, or you um, don't want to give up certain things, uh, th- then you often get pushed into that. And that happens in the political levels as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that we have these conversations is just like you and I are doing right now is not through um, a, a political difference and in, in trying to work through those, but meeting in common ground, thinking about especially values. Um, there are, are values that you will share on with people that are very different from you, um, different politically, different um, economically, uh, different um, religiously, uh, all different ways that they'll have values that are very similar for you. And meeting on those common grounds and talking about preserving and protecting the things that you value as a way to combat climate change is the is the best way to have these conversations. Now, of course, we have to have policies and those things have to be discovered by governments and work through. But for individuals like you and I to have conversations with people that we don't often agree with politically um, is talking about values and reframing the conversation about here's what I care deeply about, here's what I love, and here's how it could be compromised through climate change. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see that happen. How can I work in my everyday life uh, to make sure that that thing that I value deeply, that really uh, drives me each day, how can I preserve and protect that? For me, it's my daughters. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't think about their climate future. You know, what kind of world are they going to live into? How does climate change integrate and combine with all of these other threats that are that are facing the world today from, you know, um, these social issues to um, the pandemic and how the consequences of that are going to play out in, in the years to come, right? What can I do as a father for these two, two humans that I brought into this world? What can I do to make their lives better? How can I live for, for them in, in my choices and, you know, putting in my values, what I care deeply about, and then working to protect those values rather than seeing it as a climate, you know, thing or as a political thing, um, moving towards protecting my values. And what's brilliant about that is you don't have to get into the heart of if humans are causing climate change or, you know, it's a left versus right thing in U.S. policy. 
uh, it's it's about protecting what you care about. And that motivates people. People are driven by what they love and what they care about. And so, you know, reframing the conversation to that often can be very successful. Yeah. And and I think I connect a lot with what you're saying. Well, first off, you said it is a political issue because policy has to change. It does become tricky because it becomes so partisan around how do we change but still remain, you know, uh, with all the things that we're so deeply in, embedded in. And then around producing change and coming from your val- values, what you said around um, the world you're helping to impact for your children's sake, it reminded me of something I was told recently around um, a similar, very large issue that feels at times insurmountable, um, stuff around anti-racism, white p- privilege, things like that. I was talking with uh, Robert Caldwell, who runs an organization that focuses on race in the church here in Columbus. And he's said to me more than once that, you know, this next generation of young leaders can really produce change. And, but he's, he, he put it in the context of it probably won't be change that you'll see in your lifetime, but your children certainly could. And I, you know, especially when I feel so discouraged um, it's actually encouraging to hear that because some of the greatest change we can go after is change that we might not reap the benefits from, but certainly, you know, the hope is that our children will on some level. And so I think that's true around uh, how deeply divided we are around race and and, and, and the issues around anti-racism and white privilege, climate change being very similar. I mean, this is a big issue and it's having a huge impact and the change that needs to happen still needs to happen a variety of spheres on individual level, government levels, all these types of things. But the hope, I guess, and maybe you're not saying this, but the hope is, is that if we, we might be able to produce change, that's going to, we're going to produce something for our kids that the next generation will be able to see um, the fruit of what, of what we've done. And that's something that's worth absolutely worth working towards regardless of your partisan differences. Yeah, and I might even push a little farther beyond that because this is a global problem. Mm-hmm. And so you're probably, you, you might not see the change even in your kids' lives because sure. of our social economic status and the way we're able to adapt here in the U.S. maybe than other places. And so you're actually more likely to see change in the people that are going to be more dramatically impacted. Mm-hmm. You know, So looking abroad, not just looking at your U.S. perspective, that, that's a challenge with this because people don't feel threatened or don't feel... Um, they're not perceiving the change. And so they don't, they don't want to, they don't feel like there's any risk. Right. Whereas if you have the global perspective and you realize that this is not just, you know, me comfy here in the U S thinking about this, this is a global issue that is affecting people. People are leaving their homes because of sea level rise and being forced Mm -hmm. to evacuate whether they want to or not. Um, People are being forced to cope with drought and lack of food and lack of water uh, because of these things. And it's not here in the U S maybe it's, it's worldwide. And uh, turning our eyes to a global problem, it's global warming, global climate change, um, you know, to see beyond the U.S. borders uh, to solve this problem and realize that our impacts are not just about us and our kids even, like, hopefully they are, but you can see certainly positive change elsewhere well, elsewhere in the world. Yeah, and it goes back to it's a justice issue. You know, we have, I, I realized um, a few years ago, someone, I can't remember who was telling me this, but, you know, it's similar to like security, you know, personal safety is a privilege. So like I have a friend who's living in a tent and 
one night, you know, his tent gets ransacked and destroyed relatively easily and everything that he has is gone. I mean, it was like super easy because um, it's just a tent in the woods and that's all he has. Uh, whereas you go all the way up to the wealthiest and they're living in gated communities with security guard and cameras and multiple levels of security to protect their stuff. And I think it's similar, it sounds like, around the issues of climate change, where the more we have, the more we can kind of protect ourselves from, we can weather, you know, weather the storm, so to speak, easier. But when you're talking about somebody who is really doesn't have access to adequate housing, adequate water supply, technology, I mean, climate change impacts them on a, on a, on a very big basis. And so changing the direction we're headed in will impact them uh, greatly as well. And produce absolutely. a level, a higher level of security for their life. And I mean, as Christians, geez, I mean, we should absolutely be cared, concerned with that. Absolutely. Anything else you want to share around this topic? Yeah. One, one thing that you mentioned uh, that's really important for those people that have been, you know, thinking about climate change for quite a while and, and maybe know quite a bit about it. Uh, I encourage all of those people to continue to have hope, uh, to continue to have courage. Um, it can seem like a really big, overwhelming issue that we're not making progress on quick enough. And at times it can lead to despair, you know, feeling that this is never going to get solved and we're just getting worse and worse. Uh, you know, it's easy to get that, that mindset. Uh, and so just to continue to have that hope, uh, continue to do your part, to continue to work for a better tomorrow, to change the story, to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Um, and in the midst of the uncertainty of what the world will look like in the next hundred years, to um, not be lost in the despair, and uh, but choose to choose hope, to choose courage, to choose action um, rather than complacency. It's really easy to just think that climate change isn't happening sometimes. It's cold this week, you know, um, it's snowing in Ohio, uh, you know, climate change is not canceled, it's still ongoing, it's a global thing. Uh, it, it, but also to, um, you know, get so many things are happening, like the, the you might not think it, there's signs of it, even in the US, right? The, the wildfires that happened this last um, year in 2020, largest acreage ever burned in the last, since 1960 in the US, mm. or the, the very active hurricane season and how devastating that was for people along the Gulf Coast. And for people to just to think that these are, you know, blurps, but they're all part of the climate change story. And they, the, the, the complacency ideal is that you just accept them and that, that there's, this is nothing we can do about them. Whereas I, I charge everyone to think these are not normal. They're not, you know, just things that just would happen. Uh, the, 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 the rate of we're seeing that the severity of them is changing and, you know, don't lose hope to make a difference and to change the story, because I think every voice matters, every step in action matters. And the more we can do corporately, uh, the better we have it. Uh, chances at solving this problem. It's good. So you mentioned a sustainability podcast. Where would, uh, what would someone search for if they wanted to find that on iTunes or Spotify? It's called the Ohio University Sustainability Series Podcast. Excellent. So just, yeah, search for that on Apple or Spotify. It should come straight up. Great. And so that you guys talk a little bit about sustainability in those three different uh, areas and it might be a good place for people to learn some more. And I'm sure there's lots of other resources well, I appreciate your time and uh, thanks so much for sharing and you've given me a lot to think about. I'm sure others who are listening as well. So thanks a bunch. Thanks, Joe.